0: I'm David Rowan, and you're listening to Voyager's Journeys, where we hear the stories of people in the Voyager's community building impactful things. Now, if you really want to have impact, why not devise an entirely new source of energy that's clean, safe, cheap, and pretty much inexhaustible? That's what Jan Kirchhoff is working on at his startup HB11 Energy. Nuclear fusion. They aim to use hydrogen and boron-11 atoms to generate massive amounts of energy.
1: It's it's rather simple. If we can make it work, I, I think it will replace all the other
0: generating technologies, because of course it makes perfect sense to use it. There's just one catch. No one has yet created nuclear fusion. And the engineering challenges are so immense that even the optimists at HB11 Energy say this will cost hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. But this Australian startup has raised early funding from entrepreneurs like Lukasz Skodowski, the founder of Delivery Hero. Don't be daunted by the science in the next half hour. You really don't need to be a nuclear physicist to see why Jan Kirchhoff's ambitions are huge, high risk and potentially game changing. Jan, welcome. Tell us exactly why nuclear fusion is something that the world needs.
1: What? That's a, that's a very good question, and uh, the answer is rather simple. We think the world needs a new form of, of energy generation. For example, everyone is talking about hydrogen at the moment, but nobody's really talking
0: about where you get the hydrogen from. So HB11 energy has a very ambitious approach to solving the energy problem, laser boron fusion. Explain what you're building and why we haven't had it so far. So
1: the, the way we are, we are approaching this is, is totally different from almost everyone else in, in the whole field of fusion, because we're not using these extremely high temperatures of up to 150 million degrees to ignite the fusion plasma. That's, for example, all the, the, the big public funded programs are, are using, but rather accelerated ions that we can accelerate with these high power lasers that are just being put into commission of, since a few years back now. The key difference is we're not using temperature. And that makes it a lot more efficient and we can use a new innovative fuel mixture that is a lot safer than the classic deuterium-tritium fuel that that is being used in in, in the other approaches.
0: So there aren't that many nuclear scientists in our community. So let's go back to first principles and explain what nuclear fusion is.
1: So nuclear fusion is basically the, the opposite of the nuclear fission that we know that you can split very heavy Uranium atoms with a neutron to release the the nuclear energy. So instead of using these heavy ones, we we use almost the the lightest ones on the periodic table, being hydrogen. And and that's why the classic approach is deuterium and tritium, which are the isotopes of of hydrogen, because they, they tend to fuse more easily using these temperatures. The problem is that deuterium-tritium reaction releases a neutron, and the neutron is the one part of the atom that activates, for example, the reactor walls because it adds a nuclear um, nuclear particle to to another atom, which makes it unstable, which then will start to decay. So using this hydrogen and boron reaction is better because we we don't generate neutrons because the reaction yields in in three charged helium particles that we can directly capture and and use that charge to directly feed into the grid. That's the real big advantage, also in terms of efficiency, of course, because even all of these advanced fusion reactors, the ITER and the the stellarator in, in Germany, in the end, they are just a very, very complicated way to boil water and to generate steam. And we don't need that.
0: So we've had nuclear fission around the world for decades. It's running our nuclear power stations, but there's some downsides with nuclear fission.
1: Of course, we have the downsides of of these few terrible accidents that happened. I mean, my personal opinion is that most of them could have been prevented with proper security measures. The most recent one in Japan, having the, the backup diesel generators in, in the basement when, when you're that close to the sea with a tsunami danger, that wasn't the smartest move they, they had there in Japan. Of course, you have all this handling of really dangerous materials. You have the waste that you have to take care of somehow. And of course, you have the weapons problem, the proliferation issue. Those are the the three most used arguments against nuclear power. But on the other hand, you have to see that it's one of the largest scale and energy dense uh, generation that we have. And you can see in France, for example, or Sweden, they have a very clean grid. And then you look at Germany, um, we have about 10 gigawatts of of nuclear left, and we will shut that down in in one or two years. And then what we end up with is pretty much coal power and and a few gas plants in in Germany, and the the mix is
0: CO2-wise, again, much worse than France, for example. So nuclear fission that we have now in the world's nuclear power plants, first of all, there's a risk of accidents and leakage. Secondly, there's the risk of proliferation, because this technology can be used by the bad guys. And third, the waste needs disposing. Does nuclear fusion solve all these problems?
1: Well, if, if you talk about deuterium-tritium, the, the, the classic approach, it solves definitely the weapons problem, and it, it solves also the, the accident problem, because you will not have a, a uncontrolled chain reaction. It's just not going to happen, because if you turn off the outside supply of, of energy, the, the plasma will collapse and nothing will Will really happen. And the waste issue is a, a little bit there when you use DT because, as I said before, you, you generate these neutrons. These neutrons will, will activate reactor walls, and 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 by itself tritium is already radioactive. But of course, it's a whole different level than than the uranium kind of fission plant, right? So it's it solves that, and our approach even solves that waste issue because we don't use any of the radioactive materials and we don't generate those neutrons out of the reaction
0: because we use a different reaction, basically different input materials. Sounds amazing, especially for a world reaching a critical point in its energy usage. There must be a catch, Jan. Why don't we have (laughs) nuclear fusion at the moment?
1: I mean, we have to be honest about this. It's, It's a really difficult physics problem and there's been a lot of people working on this for, for a long time now. The research started in the 50s and nobody solved it yet because it's, like I said, it's a, it's a damn hard problem. W- why our approach hasn't been really looked at before is because the lasers were just not available that, that we needed. But, but think about this. Uh, Professor Hora came up with this theory in, in 1978.
0: This and... is Heinrich Hora from the university yes. in Sydney. Houston. Exactly.
1: He had this idea back in 1978, if, if we had a laser that would be powerful enough to accelerate those ions, we could, we could use a completely different form of fusion and different fuels because the, the hydrogen boron reaction is, through temperature, is almost impossible to ignite. To put it into, into perspective, you need 150 million degrees for, for deuterium tritium, but you need almost 4 billion degrees for, for proton boron in a temperature-based um, ignition scheme.
0: One of the reasons we don't have fusion at the moment is because it requires such high temperatures to create the reaction that there's the chance that you could put more energy in than you get out. Is that
1: right? That's one part of the problem, yes. But the temperatures are possible, they have been demonstrated. But the problem is keeping up that reaction for a longer time than a few microseconds. That's, that's the big challenge because you have to confine that plasma into a magnetic field because as soon as it touches the walls of the reactor, it will basically implode because all the, the, the heat is being transferred to, to, the, to the material in, in the wall. You can't have any of the plasma touch the, the reactor walls. And they have to use very high magnetic fields to, to avoid that plasma touching the wall. And that's the thing that is so hard to control because the plasma has instabilities and Basically, it's against nature to, to keep it that, that way and, and that you have to get around. That's the biggest problem, I think,
0: with these DT, temperature-based approaches. So you're mentioning plasma, you're mentioning lasers. There's a lot of people that don't quite understand what happens in the physics. So yeah. explain why we need a laser and what the plasma is.
1: Yeah. So so basically, what, what you try to achieve in fusion is... In, in contrast to fission, fission is a heavy atom that you can can split because it's so it's so big. Basically, it has so many components that if you shoot a neutron in, it'll it'll split. That's that's not not too hard to achieve. But combining two atoms, uh, two very light ones, is, is the problem. Is that they have a natural repulsion, like if you put two magnets of the same uh, polarity against each other, they don't want to touch. And you can imagine that in nature it doesn't happen because. If, if that would, would happen easy, none of the elements would be stable, right? So because that energy, that, that natural repulsion is, is so strong, you need a lot of either temperature that you can you can have the, the atoms shake really quickly because temperature is basically the, the function of the, the shaking of, of, of the atoms. And if you heat them up enough, then they will shake violently enough to, to bounce into each other and to, to overcome that natural barrier. And what we do, because we don't want to use that heat because it causes so many problems, we use a laser to accelerate the hydrogen atoms, and by accelerating them to an immensely high speed, you can also overcome this barrier. And, and as soon as you overcome this barrier, you will, you will fuse those two atoms, and then you will release a lot of energy.
0: This is a theory now, Jan. It hasn't actually been proved in practice. Nobody yet has created the prototype. What makes you think your company, HB11 Energy, can be the first to do this?
1: Well, it's, it's a theory, that's just true. I mean, again, Professor Hall oh came, came up with this in 1978. But the good thing is we, we have several measurements in, in several different labs in, in the world who, who actually shown that, that these proton accelerations are possible. And also that it showed that we, we get fusion reactions from, from those accelerated protons if you hit the, the boron target with, with those protons. So it's not totally just a crazy theory. It's, it's also been shown in, in a lab. Our job now is to, to make that process more efficient and, and optimize the all the parameters, the different parameters that, that we can have. The laser has a lot of different settings that we can use. And of course, the targets that we should have, I mean, endless possibilities, how how we how we design them. So that's basically now the challenge to, to optimize what we saw already to make it into an energy um, reactor.
0: So let's talk about where we've got so far. In 1978, Professor Heinrich Horer in Australia shows through his research that you should be able to create fusion using hydrogen and boron 11 using high powered lasers. Yes. And since then, there have been various tests, various non-thermal ways to fuse H and B11. Right. But we haven't actually got close to creating sustainable sources of energy. What do you need to do to get from that lab-based theory to helping solve the energy crisis in a big, ambitious, global way?
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's been shown in the lab. but The fact is that the, the field is not very advanced because it, is, it has always been disregarded as impossible. So I'm not sure if you're, if you're familiar with uh, Clark's law. If an elderly scientist tells you something it's uh, impossible, it's probably not true the field is is, is is it is cutting edge at the moment so it, there's not been a lot of research going into this especially not public funded so um it's just starting the lasers have been available since five maybe maximum ten years That so it's it's basically a very brand new field and that's our main challenge that, that we have to overcome now with with experiments and with simulations the positive side is that we don't have to build a our own machine now to, to produce results. We can use the existing laser facilities that are already in place in different universities around the world. So we can really immediately start with, with experiments and we don't have to take a few years to, to build a machine.
0: The good news is you have Professor Heinrich Hörer himself as your lead physicist in the company. So HB11 Energy is a spin-out from the University of New South Wales. You are, though, a startup. You are having to compete for fundraising rounds to attract talent. How much do you think you're going to need to raise in order to get to the advanced part of your journey, building your first nuclear fusion plant?
1: Good question. So at the moment, we are, we are working with the different groups that have been active in this field through um, collaborations. We pay for PhD students. We pay for one or two postdocs to advance the, the work. So we're not so much depending on, on hiring people because we know it's it's hard to hire people out of university positions. But of course, we will start hiring people and we will probably do another financing round mid or end of the third or fourth quarter this this year. And with that financing round, we, we will definitely start attracting the bigger people in, in, in the field. I mean, the field is very small. We know most of them. So... So that's always good. And of course, they know Professor Hora and they know all the people that, that work with us on, on the scientific advisory board. So we have some some credibility and that's always what we want to focus on. We want to be truly scientific, not over-promise anything because it has been bad for us in the past for the, for the fusion industry to, to oversell stuff to investors. We, we totally don't want to do it.
0: So you recently announced that you'd raised some pre-seed financing, as you called it, almost 5 million Australian dollars how far is that going to get you because it sounds like it's going to cost a lot more than five million australian dollars to build nuclear fusion
1: <laughs> it does and um, that's definitely true no it it, it it gets us where where we are in the position to to really do some some first experiments we hope we can announce some of the first results that we did on our own experiments soon you can stay tuned for that probably some sometime mid of this year and it gets us in a position where we can really start hiring the first
0: people. You have some successful entrepreneurs who have been supporting you, particularly Lukasz Gadowski, who's known for creating companies like Delivery Hero. He's taken you on board and been one of your early investors. Yes, how much do you think it's going to cost to get to the stage where you've proved the science, you've built your first plant, and you're pressing the on button? Are we talking hundreds <laughs> of millions of dollars? Are we talking billions of dollars?
1: No, we, we definitely think it could be done for hundreds of millions. I, I don't think we need billions because the, the good thing is the, the laser field is still progressing rapidly and still basically following the, the Moore's law curve from, from the semiconductors in the 90s. So there's a lot of developments going on in in that field, and we know that one of the biggest lasers that have been put into commission now in in Romania cost about 80 million uh, to build, just the laser system. So that's the the most expensive part that that we'll, we'll have to use. So it can definitely be done for, for less than, than one
0: billion. So let's say that your approach to using lasers to generate fusion is successful. How big is the nuclear plant going to be? Are these going to be the sorts of fusion plants that can be put into lots of cities? Are they going to need particular environmental protection?
1: The, the good thing is because the lasers at the moment they are roughly like in a room... 400, 500 square meters. So they're not exactly small, but they're not huge as well. So because we have that advantage that we don't have the, the steam turbines and everything, it'll be definitely smaller than than the conventional fission plant that we have now. And those are a few thousand square meters or maybe a few hectares because they have so much security around them, which of course makes sense. The good thing is also we don't need that security because nothing can really happen. You can use the existing infrastructure and just replace normal power stations that we have now, like coal, gas, even the fission ones, that you can just hook into that grid where, they, where they're positioned now. You can also position them closer to, to where the electricity is needed. Because, I mean, if you looked at your electricity bill recently, most of the costs with your electricity at home are transmission costs. And, of course, transmission also has losses. So it would be much more efficient to, to put it closer to where the, where the energy
0: consumption is. And what do you see as the time scale? How many years do you think it's going to take to prove the science, to prototype a plant, to launch the first commercially operating plant?
1: Well, of course, we set us, ourselves a goal, but again, this is a science project. You never know what happens. We don't make the mistake of, of promising anything to investors. So it's done when it's done, but our goal is, is eight to 10 years.
0: Wow. Within a decade.
1: If Yeah. If, if everything goes to plan, we, we think it is possible. We don't want to put a date out there and then get, resp- get held responsible in 10 years that we didn't make it. Because it could happen. We, we are very open about this.
0: Well, fingers crossed that the science proves viable. You get the funding, you create a series of plants. How much dent could nuclear fusion make on our energy challenges? How important is fusion going to be, as you see it, to taking us towards net zero? It's,
1: it's rather simple. If we can make it work, I, I think it will replace all the other generating technologies, because of course, it makes perfect sense to use it. And the interesting part about our our concept is because we're using this pulsed approach, we can immediately scale up and down the, the, the production of the electricity. So we can, we can load follow basically instantly, which almost except maybe for for hydro none of the other technologies really can renewables will only deliver when when the weather is right so that's that's no way you can you can really control them and the other big plants that are currently running on, on on steam turbines they take hours to ramp up and down and of course the technology is not really made for ramping up and down what we see for example now in germany if you ramp up and down your coal plants all the time the emissions actually increase and it's the same when you when you drive in your car when you drive constant 120 on the highway, it'll use much less if if you always keep accelerating and braking in the cities. I think it would replace everything and it should replace everything because it would be much cheaper to run. It it would have very low input um,
0: amounts of, of fuel. Now there is an argument that's been raging in the Voyagers community that maybe we should focus on what we already have. It's nice to speculate about technologies that aren't in the market yet, but we do have wind power. We do have tidal power. Why don't we focus more on making sure those are more efficient, lower cost, more widely available?
1: Yes, like I said, I mean, wind power is, is nice when the wind is blowing, but what, when it's not, you, you have nothing. And that, that's what you could, could see in Texas a few weeks back. The wind turbines froze and, and there was no power for, for almost a week. The current technologies that we have are, are not able to, to fulfill the, the demand that, that future societies will have, because I don't think electricity consumption or energy consumption in general will go down and asia and africa developing they they will want their, their air conditioning even if they use electric cars they will want to charge them the energy density of of the technologies that we have will not be enough to to supply a stable and reliable grid so you, you cannot shut down the existing base load power like like nuclear coal and, and gas and replace them with 100 percent variable sources that you have no control over i don't I think a lot of people understand the scale of of storage that we would need for for making these wind and solar plants as a stable supply, because you would need terawatt hours of storage. And I don't see any technology that could provide that, to be
0: honest. Now, Jan, you're not the only team working on this problem. There's even one company, Marvel Fusion, in the Voyager's climate tech community. Why do you think you're going to be the ones that get there first?
1: Well, we think we have the most simple and straightforward approach that that we can see, because we we don't need these these very complex plasma stabilization mechanisms. We think because we use this completely new approach that that's never never tried before, it it has more chance to succeed than these existing ones that that are just being tried again and again.
0: Most of today's competitors are using thermal fusion, where you need very high temperatures to create the reaction, more than 100 million degrees and there's only a small number of teams working on non-thermal fusion. I think there's another company, First Light Fusion, right. but they've raised yes. quite a lot more money than you.
1: Yes, yes they did. Um, but to be honest, they have, they've been active a little bit longer than, than we have. But also from what we hear from them, I don't think they, they ever really produced any, any fusion reactions yet. And and they have that disadvantage that I said before, they need to build machine after machine and improve it. So. They are at the disadvantage that they have to raise hundreds of millions to keep building their machines. We don't have that.
0: I have to ask Jan how you got into this. When you were a kid, were you making little Lego nuclear fusion power plants in your back garden? How did it start?
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. Um, I came into this whole thing through, through a personal connection to, to Professor Horá because his Professor Horá's son is a good friend of my father. <laughs> I mean, I, I know Professor Horá since about. Uh, for at least 25 to 30 years. Uh, since I was a small kid, I, I always saw him on, on family events. And uh, one one time in back, I think it was 2014, we, we, we drove him to the airport and my father was speaking to him and nobody really understood what, what he was doing. Um, of course not. He was always the, the crazy professor from, from Australia <laughs> when he visited Germany. That's that's where it all started. And, and we, we were talking in the car and he, he explained a little bit what he was doing. Us coming from the business side, we said, that we can commercialize. And then it basically kicked off that idea that we, we, we re- registered these first patents and, and set this whole thing up to, to, to accelerate it also because what, what we also heard from him that is, is the, the, the science is, is moving rather slowly when, when you have to fight for the public funding all the time.
0: Now, he's in Australia. You are now in Luxembourg, but you grew up in Germany. This is a fairly international company because I think your experiments are taking place in lots of other places as well. Can you run a company like this as a decentralized project? Yes,
1: uh, you can. A lot of people learned how to do this now with, with the whole uh, pandemic situation. We, we've been running on, on Zoom meetings for as long as we existed. So we never had an office. We, we never were sitting together in the same room. I mean, there's even people that joined us during the last year that I've, I've never personally met before on Zoom because we couldn't travel. So it's 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 working. I mean, sometimes it's tricky with the time zones. I hope maybe someone will solve that problem. <laughs> there's a lot of late night calls for me because I'm sitting in the middle uh, between Australia and the US. In the science community, a lot of international collaborations are happening anyway. So these people are kind of used to that uh, kind of working. But of course, we also had a lot of feedback from possible investors early early last year that uh, we are not a real company. We don't have an office. Yeah, but you don't need that.
0: I think I'm using Zoom wrong because I have not once used Zoom to try and develop nuclear fusion. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask a bit about your background you don't have a nuclear physics degree you don't no. have a background in the field how did you start
1: well i, I, have, I have a very classic uh, business degree and after that I, I i worked a little bit in the financial industry where, where my father was was very active for the last 40 years I joined his company back in 2010 worked a little bit in, in investment management after 2017 started working on on hp 11 full-time and reading a lot of uh, papers speaking to a lot of physicists, I will not say I I fully understand the the physics and the nuclear processes that that we we are trying to achieve here. If you throw in quantum mechanics, there's a a whole new field of of crazy effects that that you really have to get your head around. But yes, having all this contact with people, trying to read the papers that they publish and really digging into the material, yes, even without having a a physics degree, I think I can can say I, i I dug myself quite deep into that.
0: I guess you also bring the knowledge of how to raise funding. This is not a typical venture capital backed business.
1: No. Exactly. So so that that was our experience when we started the first media last February, uh, a little bit more than one year ago, we were approached by a lot of these venture funds. And we had a lot of discussions with them. And also a lot of due diligence. But what we saw, first of all, it doesn't really fit their business model, because they they have their 10 year funds. And they always before they invest, they will ask you how, how my exit looks. And of course, we, we don't over promise we don't want to say yes, we will have something working in 10 years. So most of these funds were immediately uh, dropping out of the diligence because of that. I mean, they didn't tell us, but I think that's, that, that was the biggest problem. So what we saw now and, and also what is uh, true with, with Lukas, he, he's spending his own money, so he's taking this, his, his full responsibility. He knows that there's there's a risk involved and that's exactly what, what we are looking for, to have people that know that there is a risk and willing to take that risk. And if it doesn't work, we progress science. We have to have investors that understand that and, and are okay
0: with that. Yeah, Lucas is also investing in flying cars. So somewhere along the way, you can have a breakthrough. The final question, Jan. On Voyagers journeys, we always ask people if they have an ask from the Voyagers community as well as an offer for the community. Is there anything that the rest of Voyagers can help you with? And likewise, is there anything you can offer? To other voyages,
1: yes. If someone has any contacts to investors or other groups that are interested in the technology, always welcome to point them our way. I think we are still very largely unknown in in, in the world of of technology, and we're, we're working on that, of course. But I think the word can be can be spread. And of course, if, if somebody is interested in the whole field of fusion, I will try to explain to them what we're doing and, and how the technology works. Um, or that, That's one of our goals as well, to get the, the public more informed what, what fusion is, how it works, and what, what we try differently. So we, we just want to take everyone on the journey who, who, who wants to and, and be very open and try to communicate as, as much as possible what we do and not sit in our basement uh, and, and hide everything away.
0: Well, you've certainly, Jan, given us a fine education into the rudiments of nuclear physics. Thank you for explaining how fusion involving hydrogen and boron-11 are going to work. Thanks for introducing your company, hp 11 Energy. I hope you get there. I hope you get there sooner rather than later, because I think the world needs a low-cost, safe, sustainable energy source. I'm David Rowe, and this is Voyager's Journeys. You can find out more about us at voyages.io and maybe join the community. Jan Kierkoff of HP 11 Energy, thank you. Thank you, David.